With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. going everybody welcome back to the teledabs it is podcast episode 36 on the hockey podcast network and sponsored by DraftKings sportsbook basketball teams are entering the final month of the regular season as they gear up for the playoffs while some teams are locks to make the playoffs others are still fighting for their opportunity to chase the most coveted trophy in basketball this summer DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. And doing so is simple. All you have to do is pick any basketball team to win their next game, and if during that game the team of your choosing hits just one three-pointer, you bring home $100 in free bets. Bets. That is 100 to 1 odds on the team of your choosing to hit a three-pointer, and they don't even need to win. All you have to do is pick a team to hit a three-pointer. It's that easy. It's basically just free money, and there's no reason to not get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook. This year's teams have been hitting threes at an unprecedented pace, so be sure to get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook before this offer ends. They are safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free bets if the basketball team of your choosing hits a three. That's code THPN to turn $1 into $100 in free bets for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So I was expecting expecting to have two games against the Kings to talk about by this point, but instead the Avalanche have once again been shut down due to COVID protocol and a third player testing positive, forcing the team to be shut down for their next three games, those games being the what was supposed to be the Friday game against the Kings and Sunday's game against the Kings and the first of three games against the Blues on Tuesday the 20th and seems like the team will return to action on the 22nd when they play the Blues on the road. Uh, This is definitely a classic case of be very careful what you wish for because we've all been, oh man, Look at the schedule, the Avalanche, they're so exhausted, they've had no breaks since Lake Tahoe and everything, and well, now they get it, 
I guess, but this is this is definitely not the way that you want to get a break. You don't want anyone testing positive and getting sick. And the third player that tested positive was, in fact, Jonas Donskois. The three players on the COVID protocol list are Bo Byram, Philip Grubauer, and Jonas Donskoy. Since they, those three were added, no one else has been added, but none of them have been taken off and no real updates ever since Thursday when this broke. Uh, the Avalanche all received their vaccines last Monday and they're at least hopeful that this is the very last that they have to deal with this all season. And you obviously don't want to deal with this at all coming in the playoffs. Obviously you don't want to deal with this at all during the season, but you doubly so don't want this coming up during the playoffs, which will be in less than a month. And while this may look like a little bit of a break for the team, uh, it might be right now, but it's going to come back in spades later because the compressed schedule that we've been looking at ever since the Avalanche had their outdoor game against Vegas in February where they haven't had more than two days off that entire time, well, they have it here, but they're going to have to make up these three games before the end of the season. So we're looking at more back-to-backs, maybe pushing the season back even a little later, probably playing at least, I'd say at least two of those games, maybe all of them, after what was supposed to be the final game against the, the Kings on the 8th of May. So I suspect that two of those games are probably going to be back-to-backs on I don't know. I mean, you you got a back-to-back already to end the season against the Kings. And I don't think the playoffs are starting the week of the 12th. I think they're going to start the week of the 19th anyway. I mean, you've seen what's happened with Vancouver and their absolutely brutal schedule down the stretch. I mean, Vancouver looks like a baseball schedule. And that's, that's that's a rough one for Vancouver because... The players aren't even ready to play yet. They're playing tonight against the Leafs, which I can't believe. There's players that aren't back yet, and they've been adamant that they're not ready to play yet, but it seems like they're being forced to play anyway. So maybe the schedule we see now goes untouched. I mean, I don't know where you would even fit in a game here. I mean, because like we said, like there are no two-day breaks in between, so unless they're willing to make one of these a back-to-back, I just don't know how you would make it work. So I think just my speculation, no official reports behind this at all, I think all three of those games are going to be after the 8th of May and probably have to push the playoffs back, at least for the West Division. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how they would do this. I know Vegas had a game moved to after the 8th or what was supposed to be their last game of the season. So I don't know, maybe there was already some space to begin with, but this this stretch is not going to be any easier after this. So for all the players who aren't infected, I hope they are making the most of this break right now and are ready to go on the 22nd because they are going to have to come out firing. It's two road games against the Blues, which in itself are pretty important because the Blues are fighting for a playoff spot of their own right now. And then the two big ones against Vegas on the 26th and the 28th that'll basically decide who gets the first seed 
in the West and would have home ice in the second round should Colorado and Vegas meet each other. So there's not really going to be any time to find your legs again. You're going to have to go right into action right away. So obviously this is a very unfortunate scenario for the Avalanche. It seems like compared to a lot of outbreaks throughout the league, throughout the season, that this one is pretty in hand. I mean, it didn't seem like it spread that far throughout the team. There haven't been any positive tests uh, outside of Donskoy. So compared to, especially when you compare it to the brutal outbreak that was Vancouver, this seems like this will pass relatively soon without having to add anyone new to the list. I am worried about Philip Grubauer because pretty much right after I finished recording the last episode, Bednar came out and said that Grubauer is not going to be available for basically two weeks, which concerned me that they knew that that quickly, which I don't want to speculate about anyone's health or anything, but that kind of tells me that maybe Grubauer might be dealing with something that had to do with the positive test and maybe he's dealing with some symptoms that'll keep him out for some time. So it definitely was not a false positive. That's definitely the bad news there. And I'm, I'm worried and I hope that he'll end up being okay from it. I hope there's no long-term effects from it and everything. And just an unfortunate situation right now. And it's like, I saw there was obviously people like, well, at least the avalanche get to breathe a little bit. This is not how you want to achieve that. You you don't want anyone to get sick to have to give this team a break at all. That's just not how you want to do it. So hopefully at least the players that aren't infected can make the most of this time off. And hopefully everyone comes back ready to go and ready to play because we're going to hit that home stretch. I mean, after these two games against the Blues, or there's still going to be another game against the Blues after that, but these two games against the Blues and two against Vegas, the season really is going to wind down into a slog. You've got four games against the Sharks, and whenever those games against the Kings are made up, you're going to have four games against the Kings, and then just one game against the Blues. So regular season, really not going to be very interesting after the 28th, after we take on Vegas for the final time so they're really just like i said they're really gonna have to come out firing and find their legs relatively quickly or we could end up being behind in the west division and have vegas control their own fate heading into the final days of the season but really not much else to talk about with the outbreak or anything there just there just hasn't been any news since other than just there haven't been any more positive tests outside of Byram, Grubauer, and Donskoy as of right now, Sunday afternoon. No games, no roster moves, no practices, no nothing to speak of. So this might end up being a little bit of a shorter episode. I still got some things on tap to talk about, but that's really it with the the COVID situation with the team. It seems like they're on pace to return to action on the 22nd against the Blues. And hopefully that's the last we have to deal with it during this season and in the playoffs and hopefully ever again. I don't think we any of us ever want to deal with this again after the season because we're all just about done. But that's really it for the, the COVID situation for the Avalanche right now. And like I said, no new Avalanche news to speak of since the shutdown. But there is one thing that I did want to 
talk about, and that's the lack of respect that Miko Rantanen has been getting this season. You look at the goals in the NHL right now, obviously it's Austin Matthews leading the pack and going to win the Rocket Richard at 32 goals, but in second place is Miko Rantanen with 26, and I have not seen a soul outside of the immediate avalanche media and fan base even acknowledge that. And I just don't really understand why. I don't understand why it's not being made a bigger deal, the amazing season that Rantanen's having. And it's not even just that. It's the fact that I've just seen absolutely nothing about it. The only times I've seen anything about it is when they're talking about other guys, like when they show the the Austin Matthews goal totals on the season and how he's going to win the Rocket. You see Miko Rantanen right there in second place, and they're talking about Alex Ovechkin and how what a great second half of the season he's had to come all the way back into the Rocket Richard race. But ahead of him is Miko Rantanen. And even with guys like McDavid and Drysaddle, like they, they're right around the, the race, but again, ignoring... Miko Ranton, I really only see it when I watch Avalanche games on the Altitude channel, like national games, it's not brought up at all. I don't see any like big wig reporters bringing it up at all or the NHL even acknowledging it at all. Like, is it just because the Rocket Richard race is already decided essentially with Matthews with 32 goals? I mean, I talked about at the beginning of the season how Rantanen had a shot at winning the Rocket Richard, and honestly, he's even met that expectation still. It's just that Matthews has played so unbelievably this season that he's six goals ahead of the pack, even though he's missed some games this season. He's played 40 games this season and scored 32 goals. I mean, imagine what he would be doing over the course of an 82-game season, but over the course of an 82-game season, Miko Rantanen would likely be on pace for 50 goals. He's played 43 games this season, and he's got 26 goals. That's definitely a 50-goal pace, especially if he continues to play the way he's been playing recently. But it kind of makes me think in general, like, I haven't really seen a lot of Avalanche talk about just about them in general outside of acknowledging just how good the team is and how ridiculous they are. It seems like that's all kind of gone away. Maybe it's because everyone expected them to be that good, but I don't know. It just kind of confuses me. But m most of all, when it comes to Rantanen, because I've seen absolutely nothing about him outside of, obviously, like I said, the immediate Colorado fan base and media. And I just don't quite understand why. He's done exactly what I asked of him. At the start of the season, my expectation for him was to turn into one of the best wingers in the league and be recognized as such, but him being recognized is not his problem. That's everyone else's problem. And he and he has done that. He's turned into one of the best wingers in the league and one of the elite goal scorers in the league as well. At still just 24 years old. He hasn't even hit his peak yet. And I don't know if it's just because Matthews is scoring so ridiculously or because Alex Ovechkin is still scoring at a ridiculous pace or because everyone loves talking about Connor McDavid that Rantanen just gets overshadowed. But even if you look at the points in the league, Rantanen has 52 on the season. He's tied with Mark Scheifele. And I believe that he's tied for about sixth in the league. He's one point behind McKinnon. Obviously, McKinnon is played six less games, or I'm sorry, 
four less games than Rantanen and has one more point. So obviously McKinnon's going to lead the league, or I'm sorry, lead the avalanche in points this season. So I don't know. Is he just getting overshadowed by everybody? If you go to points per game, which is a more fair way to look at it due to some of the discrepancy in games, Rantanen is ninth. He's ahead of guys like Mark Scheifele, just barely behind a guy like Mitch Marner. And really the only real jump is after Patrick Kane to Brad Marchand. And I don't know, is it just because Rantanen plays with McKinnon that he gets overshadowed as not being a, a star or everyone recognizes him as a star and it's not worth talking about? Like, I just can't really seem to wrap my head around why when... The Avalanche are having such an outstanding season and such an outstanding stretch over the last month. And Rantanen's played a massive part in that. Even times when McKinnon has gone colder than he normally would over the course of this season, obviously he's been hot lately, but like back in early March and bits of February when McKinnon wasn't so great, he was always good, but he wasn't always great. Rantanen was still scoring at an elite pace. So I'm just... I'm sitting here trying to even figure out why he's not getting the love that he deserves this season because you see it all the time on teams that break out and have these outstanding seasons. You see guys are in award conversations, even out like even outside of the sidekick, I suppose you could call Ranton in, in this case, the sidekick to Nathan McKinnon. You see even them get award talks and just how good can they be. I just don't know. I don't know if it's just the weird season that you just don't get to see like the Canadian media have to play the avalanche so that has an effect on it. And it's just maybe that's it. Just there's it's everything's so compressed this season into each division that no one outside of the West really even cares that much. Because if you played Miko Ranton in this season, you would have seen just how good he's gotten and it's scary to think about because he was very, very good in the past as well. He's gotten even better over time. I mean, this is an outstanding career year for him. And that's, it's not like he hasn't had them before. Last season was rough for him with all the injuries and everything. I mean, he's already played more games than he did last season. He's played 43 this year and he played 42 last year, dealing with all of his injuries and everything. And he had 19 goals, 22 assists, 41 points, still basically a point per game during that stretch. Season before that, he had 31 goals in 74 games. And if this was a normal season, he'd smash that record and he might still pass that anyway. That's still five goals away. And he's got about nine games left to pass that. I think he can still absolutely do that, especially if he can fit a multi-goal game in there somewhere as well. I mean, and you look at his shooting percentage this season, it's not outlandishly high or anything compared to his past. I mean, it's even lower than it was last year. Granted, barely. Last year, he shot 17.8%. This season, he's shooting 177 But he's shooting pretty much at the same or scoring at the same rate that he normally does. This is just he's having an incredible season and he's breaking out into a superstar. And usually when players like Ranton and first-round picks on high-end teams have these breakout into superstar-type seasons, it usually just receives more coverage. And I just have not seen a single thing covering Miko Rantanen 
this season and the outstanding breakout year that he's having. I mean, Leon Dreisaitl last season won the heart despite being the sidekick to Connor McDavid because he had not a breakout season, but a follow-up to his like breakout into superstardom season, and it got him the heart. Not saying Rantanen should win the heart or anything, but like he hasn't even been in the conversation at all. And you look at like a lot of these high-scoring guys. Like I know plus-minus is such an archaic stat, but a lot of the guys who who vote on the awards use it. And Rantanen's a plus twenty-four. The only guy ahead of him who's top ten in points is Nathan McKinnon on the Avalanche. So I'm I'm just sitting here rambling, trying to figure out why. No one really cares about Miko Rantanen this season, despite the fact that he's been playing so absurdly well. I mean, Kale McCarr has even gotten love this season for the Norris this year because of how good he's been. I don't know if he'll still win it at this rate, just because how good someone like Victor Hedman has been, or even Adam Fox has been outstanding as well. I still think McCarr is going to get love for that, and Gerard is probably going to get some votes for that as well, but... I just want to see Miko Rantanen get the recognition that he deserves. Like, is it really going to take him scoring at an absurd rate in the playoffs and lifting the cup over his head for people to finally realize just how good this guy is? I mean, people would kill to have Miko Rantanen on their team. If Miko Rantanen played in Toronto, he'd be considered one of the best goal scorers in the league. Obviously, Matthews is there as right now the best goal scorer in the league, but if Rantanen was there as well, he'd be getting plenty of coverage as an elite goal scorer in the NHL, and that him and Matthews are one and two in goal scoring, but it's not like Colorado's a market that doesn't get attention from the league. They're obviously a very good team right now. They're obviously the Stanley Cup favorites as of right now, so Rantanen should be getting more love from the rest of the league. Is it going to take, like I said, him lighting it up in the playoffs. I mean, it just might, but that's that just doesn't make a ton of sense to me as to why he's just not getting the love that he deserves because he does deserve it. He's been one of the best players in the league so far this season. I wouldn't I wouldn't have him on my heart ballot or anything when I consider some of the other guys that deserve it this year, but I'd at least think about it with him. And it's just like I've seen nothing with him. That's the part that's most bizarre to me is that I have seen absolutely nothing. Like not even just like look at how good Miko Rantanen is from just any sort of person or just an article detailing it. Absolutely nothing. I just, I've always found that very bizarre and I only really realized that in the last few days or so as I was just looking over the teams that I've really seen nothing about Miko Rantanen. So I hope he gets the love from the rest of the league eventually because he's done everything he's supposed to do and being second in the league in goals should not be overlooked. It's just like he's sandwiched between Matthews, who's six goals ahead of him, and Alex Ovechkin, who's the greatest goal scorer of all time. And people are talking about passing Wayne Gretzky in a few years and is about to pass Marcel Dion for fifth all-time in goals. So... Maybe that's it more than anything. He's just sandwiched between two guys who eat up a lot of national media attention. But when Miko Rantanen goes on a tear in the playoffs and ends it with lifting the Stanley Cup over his head, people are going to have no choice but to pay 
attention to him and give him the credit he deserves for what an outstanding season he's had and the amount of damage that he can do in the future on the wing of Nathan McKinnon. Make no mistake, Miko Rantanen on Nathan McKinnon's wing also makes Nathan McKinnon better. This is not just a one-way thing where McKinnon makes Rantanen better. Rantanen makes McKinnon better as well. Let's make that very clear too. Rantanen and McKinnon, in my opinion, is one of, if not the most lethal duo in the NHL. You can make the case for Matthews and Marner however much you want, but these guys are just absurd together, and they are an unstoppable force. So I hope Rantanen gets the love that he deserves before the end of the season, because he deserves it. I mean, maybe he can make it a bit of a race with Matthews if he goes on a goes on a hot streak and Matthews goes cold down the stretch, but I doubt it. Honestly, just when Matthews plays, he ends up scoring a goal every single night. But Rantanen, he can make a push for it. I don't think he'll win it, but I think he can make a push for it and at least make a conversation about it because apparently that's what it's going to have to take for him to get the credit he deserves this season. That's a shame because he's outstanding and he is one of the best wingers in the league, one of the best goal scorers in the league. And if he played in Toronto or New York, then he would be getting recognized as such. So I hope he gets that love sooner or later. But moving on now, I wanted to take a look at the rest of the West Division as it's shaping up right now. I know for the most part, it's getting pretty settled, but I wanted to take another look at it and just see how it's going to shape up over this last stretch in these last few weeks of the regular season. Colorado leads the pack at 64 points in 43 games. Vegas is in action right now against the Anaheim Ducks. They are, barring a collapse, going to beat them and tie the Avalanche at 64, but the Avalanche will have a game in hand. Minnesota, third place at 57 points in 43 games. I don't see how they would possibly catch either Colorado or Vegas unless they go on a ridiculous hot streak, but even then, that's a lot of ground to make up in Colorado and Vegas outside of playing each other. I don't see them losing a ton of games down the stretch. So that is pretty much locked down. Colorado and Vegas, they're going to go toe-to-toe for that top spot until the very end of the season, and it's pretty much going to come down to those final two games against each other at the end of the month. And Minnesota is 12 points clear of the Coyotes for fourth place. So they are in that third spot. They're in the playoffs. There's no chance they miss. But that fourth spot is still up for debate right now. Arizona and St. Louis are going back and forth for it. A big game last night between the Coyotes and Blues, their final meeting of the season. And the Coyotes come back and take that game by a final score of 3-2. to two. The Blues blow a 2-0 lead, and the Coyotes score three unanswered goals in the second and third period to take the game in regulation and take back the fourth spot in the West. But the Blues still have two games in hand on the Coyotes and can likely make that up unless the Coyotes can finally figure out how to win some games consistently. But looking at the strength of schedule for both those teams, the Blues still have the third hardest schedule in the NHL down the stretch. They still have to play us three times. They have to play Vegas twice. And I believe they have one game against the Wild. I think they have more than that. I think they have at least two against the Wild still remaining. 
So it's still a tough stretch for them. Their easiest games down the stretch are going to be two games against the Ducks and one against the Kings. So it's still going to be tough sledding for them. Arizona has the 19th hardest schedule, so they're in the bottom half. They have two games against Vegas and two games against Minnesota. They still have plenty of games left against the Kings and Sharks down the stretch as well. So in terms of strength of schedule, Arizona does have the advantage there, but in terms of who's the better team, St. Louis does have that advantage there, in my opinion. Arizona is just, I've said it before, I don't think they're very good. And it would be a shame for the Blues not to get that spot, especially because I've talked about it before, I'm just not interested in an Avalanche Coyotes series outside of the fact that there's just going to be a lot of pushing and shoving because they don't like each other very much and they've made that very clear in their season series this year, but it wouldn't be a very close series in terms of who's winning the games. So I hope St. Louis does get that spot, but they it's an uphill battle for them. And pretty much their three games against the Avalanche are going to determine where they finish in the standings. Because if, if they match up well against us and are able to get some points out of those games, they might take that spot. But if they lose all three, especially in regulation, it's going to be a tough battle for them to get that spot back, especially when you consider Arizona has plenty of games left against the California team so far this season. And you look at the the rest of the division. San Jose was in it for a moment, but they're four points back of the Blues and five points back of the Coyotes. They have 40 points in 44 games, minus 31 goal differential. They've lost five games in a row. They're out. They're not going to make it. Los Angeles Kings, 38 points in 42 games. They are 3-7 and seven in their last 10. They're out, and the Ducks, who have been out for a while, have 35 points in 45 games. They're not going to make it either. It's been a tough few years to be a fan of a California team because they're just not very good anymore, and they're all going to be having some pretty big rebuilding processes. Anaheim, more than anything, because they haven't really started rebuilding yet outside of letting Corey Perry go and like just buying him out. Ryan Getzlaff is going to be up this season. We'll see what they, he does with them. I don't imagine he would leave just because he's been there for so long and been there his entire career, but you, you really just never know. Chara ended up leaving the Bruins. Getzlaff, 35 years old. He's been with the team since 2003. That'd be, that'd be a real tough pill to swallow for him to leave like that. Especially If you can get him back for cheap, there's really no reason for the Ducks not to bring him back. But I expect them to do a lot of cleaning this offseason and just cleaning out a lot of the older players on this team. Ricard Raquel, I don't see him coming back to the Ducks next year. Silverberg, pretty expensive contract, actually. When did he get that contract? He has three years left after this season at 525 he signed that. Oh, man, this is only the second year of that contract. I don't know why they ended up doing that. He, he signed it when the Ducks were, like, on the downswing. I don't know why they would do that, but I guess now they have him to trade him if anyone is willing to take that deal. Adam Henrique, they had to put on waivers earlier this season because I guess they couldn't deal him at all. He's still a fine player. He's got 11 goals in 41 games this season. He's played well against the Avalanche, but I doubt anyone's trading for that deal. It seems like their real value, if they're going to make moves this offseason, is going to be with Josh Manson and Ricard Raquel. They have one year left after this season. 
And it seems like Josh Manson can fetch a pretty decent package. It seemed like they were asking for a lot for him at the deadline, and that's why a deal didn't come. Because it seemed like they didn't want to move them. It sounded like they made the price so ridiculous on purpose that teams just would back off and not want to take him. So I'm not sh- I'm not entirely sure why, because after next season, he's going to be gone, and the Ducks are not competing for a cup next year by any stretch. So not entirely sure why they would possibly limit returns on a decent player they can get good value for. And it seemed like it was the case with Raquel, too. So they, they're going to have some work to do this offseason because they need to get some draft picks and really bring in more young players here because it seems like the ones they've brought in recently outside of Trevor Zegras and Jamie Drysdale just aren't going to be the kind of guys that can turn a team around. But the LA Kings, they started off well this season. They've tumbled down a little bit. I think they're going to be just fine. They've tra- they traded some guys at the deadline, got some more picks, and they're still going to get some younger guys coming into the lineup. They're probably going to get Quinton Byfield next season and more growth from guys like Velarde and just all the guys they've brought up over the last few years. They have the best prospect pool in the league. I think they're going to be just fine. And the Sharks are in a very tough spot. Obviously, we gave them a fifth-round pick for Devin Dubnik in this draft, but, like, where did they, they don't even have their own second this year. When did that go? That was in the Eric Carlson trade. They traded a second-round pick as part of that massive package to go and get Eric Carlson, but they I don't know where they go from here because they, they just they can't really do anything in the offseason. Martin Jones is still signed for three years after this. Eric Carlson is signed until the end of time. Brent Burns is signed for four more years after this. Vlasic is signed for five more years after this. And just between those two players alone, that is $15 million in salary cap space. Logan Couture is signed until the end of time. Evander Kane, four more years after this. I just don't know what they do other than to try to hit on their first round pick this offseason because it's not like they have contracts that people would be willing to take on unless they're willing to move a Tomas Hurdle, which I think they should be open to. The guy's 27 and the Sharks are several years away from competing. So I don't think they should be afraid to move a guy like that. And I just, their contracts are so long. I can really see the Sharks turning into a, a a new version of the Red Wings with these deals because these players aren't bad. Kater, Kane, Carlson, Burns, they're not bad, but they're not going anywhere and they're not going to get any better. And Martin Jones is still here for three more years and he's just not good enough. So it's not going to be any better for them next season unless they can just find some kind of miracle cure, which I just don't see happening for them whatsoever. So that's really it for the West Division right now. There's that final playoff spot between St. Louis and Arizona. That's gonna, probably going to come down to the wire. I do think St. Louis ends up taking that spot, even though they do have the harder schedule. But Arizona, they've they've hung around enough to at least be a 500 team. And if the Blues lose a lot of these hard games, Arizona might just take it by default. And, I don't know, might be a big boost for their organization who have made the playoffs two years in a row. And this would be 
the first time since 2012 they can have fans in the building for a playoff game so maybe that can end up helping their bottom line as well and what's obviously been a very rough year for them financially when already things were very tough financially for a coyotes team that people in arizona didn't much care that much about so i don't know I think St. Louis ends up getting it. Arizona's definitely got a chance. They're the ones in the spot right now. Like I've said, I would prefer the Blues just because that would be a harder series, and I'm I just not interested in an easy playoff series against the Coyotes. But the Avalanche, they've got to take care of business themselves because if they can't get it done against Vegas in those final two games, well, you don't have to really worry about who's going to get that final spot because you're probably going to end up playing Minnesota in the first round anyway and have to go to war with them well i think the avalanche have an easy advantage in that series they're definitely going to come out of it black and blue so definitely not going to be easy for them either i mean you look around the rest of the league it's like i've talked about for a few weeks now most of this is pretty wrapped up obviously there's some storylines nashville chicago dallas are gonna figure out who gets that final spot in the central and Carolina, Florida, Tampa are going back and forth for first place in the Central Division. The East Division, pretty locked up. I mean, the Rangers are hot recently. They've won four in a row. They're 7-1-2 in their last 10 games. They're four points behind Boston. Boston does have two games in hand, but the Bruins now are getting hot as well. They've won four in a row. They're 7-2-1 in their last 10. So the Rangers, probably not going to make it there unless someone starts to fall off in front of them maybe the it could be the islanders they're five and five in their last 10 and they've got plenty of games against the rangers coming up soon so no, maybe that can be how the rangers get in they take down the islanders a couple times and all of a sudden they're in but it's a real outside shot for them they would have to make up a lot of ground and they are not in control of their own destiny washington leads the division at 62 points they lost to the bruins earlier today and the Penguins lost in regulation to the Buffalo Sabres early today. So it's just going to go down to the wire for every single spot in that East Division. But it seems like all four of those teams are pretty in for the most part. But speaking of the Rangers, that is a scary, scary team with the potential to be a, a, a juggernaut in the future. They have been red hot lately. They've got Vitaly Kraftsov. Coming into the NHL, he scores his first NHL goal today as the Rangers take down the Devils for the third time in a row, I believe. And you give them another offseason to add some guys, add some defense, and get some center depth and a full training camp for some of the guys that didn't get it this season, like Kraftsov, like Ke'Andre Miller, and just a full training camp in general because there wasn't one for any team this season. I think that Rangers team has a chance to not only make the playoffs next season, but be a real threat in them as well. I mean, they have the best goal differential in the East division right now, and they might not make the playoffs. And their young guys are only going to get better. I mean, everyone was ripping on Alexi Lafreniere when the season started because he wasn't a superstar right off the bat. I mean, yeah, he hasn't been amazing this year, but now he scores his eighth goal this season today. You give him a full training camp and another offseason to get ready, you can start to see what made him the first overall pick. Capo Caco, he's been much better this season as well. He can turn into something. Artemi Panarin is still Artemi Panarin and playing at a ridiculous pace. I think this team has the potential to be very very good next season especially if they play that the way they've played so far 
down the stretch. That could be a potential Stanley Cup final matchup in the future. The Avalanche taking on the Rangers. They've been the poster boys of building for the future ever since the Avalanche finished last and got their massive haul for Matt Duchesne. It seems like the Avalanche and the Rangers have been almost building side by side. Obviously, the Avalanche are far ahead of the Rangers, but if it all works out for the Rangers, it might not be far off in the future that they are in the same position as the Avalanche right now on top of the league with a ridiculous amount of young talent and a ridiculous future. So I'd be very worried about that Rangers team in the Metro next season. And you look at the Canadian division, the North division, Toronto at 60 points. They're probably going to finish ahead of Winnipeg. They're three points behind them. But it'd probably take a bit of a run from Winnipeg to ultimately pass them. Edmonton, 54 points. They're probably going to finish third in that division. Montreal is six points ahead of Calgary with two games in hand as well. Montreal beats the Flames the other day, but then loses to Ottawa the next day because Canadians. So I think that's pretty much wrapped up there, and that's what it's going to look like. A Toronto-Montreal playoff series is probably going to end up being a lot of fun. That's one I would tune into more than anything in these playoffs outside of the Avalanche, obviously. And Winnipeg-Edmonton, that would be a very fun playoff series between two very skilled teams. And just, I really hope the Oilers can do something in the playoffs this season. I don't want to see Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl <clears throat> wasting away forever. But for a second round series, I would be rooting hard for Toronto and Edmonton to meet in the second round. Because when would we ever have the opportunity to see Austin Matthews play Connor McDavid in a seven-game playoff series ever again outside of what would be a dream Stanley Cup final matchup. This might be the only opportunity we get to ever see those two meet in a playoff series. It's been, it's incredible circumstances, obviously the pandemic and the whole Canadian division, but once we get past this season, if it doesn't happen, odds are we will never, ever see it because last Canadian team to go to the Stanley Cup final was 10 years ago in 2011. So what are the odds that two of them are going to meet in the Stanley Cup final anytime in the near future? So I hope that Toronto and Edmonton can win a round and get to the second round against each other because that would be incredible high event hockey and just would be a once in a lifetime playoff series to witness because like I said, I don't think we'll ever get to see it again. So I just really hope that happens. And you just look at the rest of the league right now. Most of those spots are wrapped up, but the first team to be officially eliminated from the playoffs. Yesterday, the Buffalo Sabres lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins, officially mathematically eliminating them from the Stanley Cup playoffs. The first team to do so. Now, I know the Sabres have technically been out for weeks, but they're the first team to be officially eliminated from the playoffs and I just feel bad for them. They they honestly haven't been that bad recently. They're 5-3 and 2 in their last 10. They've picked up wins over the Capitals and the Penguins. The win against the Penguins coming today and an impressive 5-2 win over the Capitals a few days ago. But with the Sabres, I'm pretty sure they just tied the record for most consecutive playoff misses in a row. I believe the record is 10. I would have to find that 
real quick, but I do believe that they just tied the record. And if they miss next year, which would be very possible, then I don't, man, that that's a tough pill to swallow. That's a record you never want to hold. So I have the record in front of me now. The longest all-time postseason appearance drought is the Florida Panthers from 2000 to 2012, a total of 10 seasons, and the Edmonton Oilers from 2006 to 2017, 10 seasons. So the Sabres have just tied that all-time record, and if they miss the playoffs next season, they will break the record for most consecutive seasons missing the playoffs. I mean, that's crazy to think about. 11 seasons, and by all means, they're going to break it barring a miracle next year. 11 full seasons. The last time the Buffalo Sabres made the playoffs, I was 10 years old in 2011. I'm 20 now, going to be 21 in six months, and the Buffalo Sabres not once in that stretch have made the playoffs at all. That's just really sad to think about. I mean, is there any chance they can make the playoffs next season? I doubt it significantly. It would have to take a complete overhaul of the roster. I mean, the Sabres should absolutely be the busiest team in the offseason coming up. I mean, they've got to move out a ton of guys, but they also got to start bringing guys in. I mean, there's no reason for Rasmus Ristolainen to still be here. He's been on the trade block like for the last half decade. Just move him already and figure out something else on your defense. But like all these other guys too, there's really just no reason to still be doing this with them, like a Zemgis Gergensens, there's no reason for him to have still be here since 2012. I'm not saying they should rebuild because they have and that just hasn't worked for them, but I think they need to move out a lot of these guys on their roster and bring in fresh guys and at least try to be competitive next season at the same time. It's, it's almost asking the impossible out of a rookie general manager in Buffalo, in Kevin Adams. I just don't know how they do it. I mean, so I don't think they make the playoffs next season. That's probably not a bold take at all. Probably the easiest bet you can make going into next season, even before the offseason begins. But man, this is a long road for them still. And if Jack Eichel or Rasmus Dahlin are ever traded off this team, you might as well just fold them and move the entire team out of Buffalo or just fold the entire franchise because at that point, what are you even doing here? So I think they're going to break that record. But I mean, just a few years ago in 2016-17, the Colorado Avalanche were the worst team in the NHL and the worst team ever in the salary cap era. At least they were until last year's Red Wings broke that record too. But who knows, maybe the Sabres can figure it out eventually. I mean, they don't have Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen already drafted, but they do have Jack Eichel and Rasmus Dahlin. That's not nothing. So I think they can do something in the future, but they've got to figure this out soon. They're going to break the record, and it's they're the laughing stock of the league right now, and it's going to be pathetic. They just, they need to figure this out soon. The Pagulas need to figure out a way to just get away from hockey and just step away and let people do their job because they have, they haven't made the playoffs once ever since they were brought on board and they've become the worst franchise in sports, I would argue, at least in hockey. 
So they've got a long way to go there, and I don't know what you do this offseason to really turn it around. It's it's rough. It's really rough, and it's a rough ask for a rookie general manager in Kevin Adams to figure out. But I think that is going to do it for me today on this edition of the Tell It As It Is podcast. A little shorter episode than usual, a lot more ranting than usual, but like I said, there's no avalanche news to talk about whatsoever there's we got to wait until wednesday until they're even back out on the ice again and thursday until they play the blues so hope you guys enjoy your week thank you so much for tuning in follow me on twitter at g young's nhl and follow the show at tell it abs it is i have been your host griffin youngs thank you so much for tuning in and i will catch you all next time 